So guys, we are in our series, What We Believe, going through the Grace Church doctrinal statement, okay? And so the first thing I want you to do to kind of get you interacting is I want you to take a look at this picture, and I want you to explain it between the people next to you, okay? So what is this telling us, all right? Triangle, we got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we got God in there, a couple of is's, a couple of is-nots. Chat with the person next to you. Where is this coming from? What is this trying to communicate to us? Ready, set, go. All right, so pulling it back together here. What do we think? What's it showing us? Yes. Okay, so this is showing us that God is all of these, but they're not each other, okay? Any other thoughts? Good, good thought there. Helpful. Yeah, Dale. Yep, so you got all of them, but they're not each other. What is this showing us? Do we have a word for this? Yeah? The Trinity, okay. Do you know where the word Trinity comes from? Ah, awesome. So we've got the tri-unity, okay? So if you kind of split it up into two words... Guys, get used to it. He's really smart, so you just got to get used to the fact that he's going to Who? Nathan Arceo. Okay, so try and unity. Try. What is that pointing us towards? Three, right? We got triangles. We got tricycles. Three, try, okay? So it's three. Unity is pointing us to this oneness. So the trinity is this threeness and oneness brought together, okay? How many of you have ever thought, man, I just don't get the Trinity? Okay, well, all the rest of you should become theologians because if you just like have it figured out, that's awesome. But I think most people have the feeling of, I am not sure how to do the Trinity, okay? Well, we're going to start talking about the Trinity in just a minute, but let's really quickly kind of review where we've been, Okay? So, um, last week, what was our topic? Yeah. Gospel is definitely part of the topic. Part of it. Yeah. Um, the church doctrine. Yeah. Whole series is on church doctrine. We introduced the church doctrine last time. Which, what's the first thing that the church doctrine talks about? You guys are doing great. It's, it's, these, are, these are not wrong answers. These are parts of the right answer. Yes? Yeah. Maybe this is showing me more that I didn't do a great job teaching than anything else, okay? Yes? Scripture, all right? So last week, the big idea was Scripture, which I can see why that would be hard to put into words because we always talk about Scripture, and so maybe it just felt like every other week. Okay, so last week, the first thing we talk about is Scripture. Why would our doctrinal statements start with what we believe about Scripture? This is the foundation of this whole series, so that's why we're hitting it again. You remember from last time? Yeah, go ahead, Kenton, jump in. It's how we know about God, how God has chosen to communicate about himself to us. Right, so this is how God has chosen to communicate to us. So last time we talked about how everybody, we didn't draw a picture, but I'm going to draw a picture today. Oh, yes. Oh, Mr. 
Here we go. So here we have our foundation, and then we have our beliefs, okay? So last time we, we briefly said everybody has to get their beliefs based from somewhere. It's building like, if your beliefs are, are a tower, this is a terrible tower, okay? It's a building. Our beliefs are a building, okay? And made it worse, I know. Keep going forward. If our beliefs are a building, the question is what are our beliefs built on? What are they built on, okay? And so various people are going to answer that in different ways. That was a rhetorical question. I'm going to give you the answer. Everyone builds their beliefs on something. So some people build their beliefs on logic, okay? And they say, if it makes sense, then I believe it, logic. Some people build their beliefs on feelings and emotions. If it feels right, if it feels good, then I believe it. Some people build their beliefs on a particular religion or a, what a particular par political party tells them is the right thing. Or they follow a particular person. What that person says is right. So for us, we are saying we build our beliefs on holy scripture or the Bible, if that sounds too uppity for you. Okay? Holy scripture. We build our beliefs on scripture. That is the foundation. So that's why our doctrinal statement starts with Scripture. And that's why in this series, every time we talk about what we believe, we're going to start by looking at Scripture. Okay? So you shouldn't believe what you believe because the Grace Church doctrinal statement tells you to believe that. You should believe what you believe because Scripture tells you what to believe. And hopefully, you go to a church that has read scripture and interprets scripture, and when they wrote out what they believe, it's based on scripture. And I think you do. I'm going to affirm you in that, okay? So, one thing, let's see here. Oh, one thing also to be aware of is that with scripture as our foundation, it doesn't mean that our beliefs are always going to be rooted in pure logic, like, like we can totally wrap our mind around it. It also doesn't mean that our beliefs are always going to be based on what gives us warm and fuzzy feelings. Okay, so two examples of these things would be, first of all, the Trinity. The Trinity has defied logic in many ways because one plus one plus one doesn't equal one, which is what we're saying the Trinity is in a sense. Okay? So a lot of people think they can disprove the Trinity using logic, but logic isn't the basis of where we're getting our information. We're getting it from Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that Scripture is illogical. It doesn't mean that Scripture doesn't make sense. Okay? We believe it does make sense, but sometimes in ways that human reason doesn't quite line up with exactly. Um, another, like, if, if we were to say that we were purely basing our beliefs on what makes us feel good, having a God who sends people to hell, that's something that's hard for people to wrap their heads around. And that's why a lot of people reject Christianity. But for us, we say our basis of belief is Scripture. Scripture teaches God does send people to hell. Now we need to understand why. What kind of a God do we serve? Why does he do that? Okay, does that make sense? So... Anytime you ask, why do we believe that? Why do we do what we do? The answer should always be scripture. Scripture teaches that. That's our foundation for truth, okay? And if you're going to say, I don't like Christianity, 
I don't want to be a Christian. You just have to realize that you're choosing to live your life based on a different foundation than Scripture. You're saying, I know something that's more true and more right than Scripture. So I just want us to start off on that level playing field, okay? Any questions about anything I just said right there? That might be a lot to digest, but... Okay, let's keep going forward then. So, was there one or no? Okay, so let's start with Scripture, all right? So we're going to hit the Trinity just all together... And then we're going to move into our doctrinal statement. It talks about God the Trinity, and then it talks about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to hit Trinity, and then we're going to hit God the Father, next week Son, next week Holy Spirit, okay? So today we're talking about God the Trinity. So let's start by saying, where did we get this idea that we could have three things that are really one thing? Well, we got it from Scripture. Because we read in scripture, let's read this, Isaiah 45, 5 and 6 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. What does that sound like God's telling us? How many gods are there? One. One. Very clearly. Okay? Okay. And that's just one verse. Here's another one. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Sorry, that was the end of the last verse. 1 Corinthians 8, 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. So that's an Old Testament passage in Isaiah, New Testament passage in 1 Corinthians, both affirming We only have one God. Very clear that scripture teaches there's one God. And this is actually quoting Deuteronomy, which is saying there is no God but one. Is that what it says? But then we keep going and we start seeing these weird things start popping up. Like Jesus says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why would we want to baptize someone in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Now it seems like there's three things that are really important when we're talking about being a disciple of God. And then Paul signing off to the Corinthians. We're actually going to hit this today as our passage in the main service. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He signs his letter by pointing them to not just God be with you, but Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit be with you. But remember, there's only one God, but we've got these three that keep being referenced. And if we keep going in Scripture, we'll see another thing. So, so we've seen there's one God. We've seen that there's these, these three persons that keep being cited when we're talking about God. If we went to 2 Corinthians back at the beginning, here's what we would see. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're talking about someone, who are we talking about? We're talking about the Father of our Lord Jesus, God the Father, and we're calling him God. So God the Father is God. Then we get to Hebrews, and it says, of Jesus, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God... 
is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Talking about Jesus, he applies a quote that calls Jesus God. So authors of scripture don't have any problem with Jesus being God. And then we get to Acts, and we have this instance where, do you guys know the story of Ananias? Uh, and, and they say that they, they, they come and they say that the, the, they sold their field. Okay, I'm not going to tell the story because I didn't read it beforehand, but here's the quote. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So who is he lying to? The Holy Spirit. And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain at your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God, right? So you lied to the Holy Spirit, therefore you lied to God. So we have this seemingly contradiction. God is one, and God is three things. Holy Spirit, Father, and the Son. And so as responsible readers of our Bibles... We have to understand, how do we understand this? What do we do with this trinity? Well, it's easy to show you why we have a trinity by showing you these passages. It's hard to explain how they all work. And there's all sorts of analogies. There's that picture that we saw earlier that's helpful. Um, there's also a number of good analogies that we can use. And there's a number of really bad analogies that we can use. Okay, so that's all I'm going to give you today is the scripture. Our goal is to understand what scripture says. And so here's, let me read to you really quickly what our doctrinal statement says. It says, God, we teach that there is one living and true God, infinite, all-knowing, spirit, perfect in all his attributes, one in essence, that's kind of theological language, it's one God in essence, eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each equally deserving worship and obedience. So that's what we believe, and we believe that because that's what Scripture is showing us. So now let's jump into the topic of God the Father. And as we do that, it's always my goal to get Scripture into your hands, okay? So we can pass these down. The rows. Most of them end up in some kind of Christian heresy. So while it might be convenient to try to explain to your friends what the Trinity is with an analogy, you've got to be very, very careful as you use that because they can lead to some really false things. All right, so, yes, good. Yeah, that's why the analogies are typical. There's a funny video you can go and watch. It's uh, the, I, what's it called? So, in, yeah. It's called Lutheran Satire. It's these two goofy guys who explain the Trinity. They argue with uh, one of the old saints about uh, the Trinity. So here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to take the next few minutes... Every passage on the front piece of paper here that we have, pens are getting passed out. Who's got the pens? They're coming around. Angels got them. They need to move up, up here. Keep them going. Front row. Pass them to the front row. Front row. There we go. Some over there. 
So instead of jumping into groups, we're going to stay by yourself there. And here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to do your best to read what each verse says. And I want you to write, and this is important, I want you to write in your own words what it's telling us about God. So that means I don't want you to write exactly what the verse says, okay? Because when you write something in your own words, it forces you to think about it and think, what is this telling me about God, okay? So I'm going to give you a few minutes to write underneath each one, what is this telling me about God? It might be telling you two or three things about God. But go ahead and do that for a few minutes, and then we'll come back together. So you've had a chance to look at these passages. You've had a chance to talk about them for a minute. What I want to do now, um, Daryl, would you just hit mute on my computer? Just mute the volume. Awesome. I think that'll do it. Awesome. Um, so guys, let's go ahead and just read each one. And I'd love for us to create a list. Now just keep in mind that because I write it on the board doesn't necessarily mean it is like gospel truth. I'm writing our discussion on the board, just so we can work clear, okay? All right, first one, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. If you were to put that in your own words, what's it telling us about God? Yeah, Drew? Uh, he dwells in heaven and he's all powerful. Okay, so we've got dwells in heaven. That helps us to kind of know where he is. At least sometimes, or all the time, we'll see, later, maybe. He does all that he pleases, how did you say that? All powerful. All powerful. Okay, and this is where the tricky work of theologians comes in, is, is we have to think, how are we going to describe he does all that he pleases? Okay, well, we could say all powerful, that's one way we could say that. Is it getting at exactly what the psalmist is saying? That's kind of the question you have to ask. What's another way we might say that? Describe that. I feel like that he has no one in charge of him. Like he's his own boss. Oh, nice. I like that. Do capital H here. Okay. He's his own boss. And I, I think that might actually be getting a little bit more at what the psalm is saying. That he's his own boss. There's no one over him. Okay? He does whatever he pleases. It's God's way that happens. Okay? Great. Um, I've heard it said that he can, he can do all that power can do. He can do all that power can do. I know. <laughs> okay? Anything else from this one? Alright, let's look at this one. Worthy are you, O Lord of our God. And worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things by your will they existed and were created. What are we going to say for this one? Elijah? Uh, God, God, worthy, God is worthy to get honor, glory, and praise from all creation. Awesome. I'm going to take the first half of yours. Because I couldn't write it down all at once. Okay, so he's worthy to get glory and honor and power. I covered the first half. What, what else did you guys say? 
more participation here. There's a little bit more at the end here, yeah? You said he is the all-creating one. All-creating one. That's super important for us as we understand God. Because, I mean, let's think about the world we live in. Are there religions that don't believe in one all-creating God?
uh, by the counsel of his will, and that needs to be understood in the context of God saving his people and putting them in the place he wants them to be. Right? So maybe that would be a helpful qualifier here. good news for us, if that's true, that if God wants to save you, there's nothing that's going to keep him from doing it. Okay? Let's okay, keep going here. Deuteronomy, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a father of, or a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Okay, Colin, what do you say for this one? What's this tell us about God? I said that, like, he's the standard for uh, perfection and justice. Okay. <clears throat> Perfection and justice. That's good. Alright? His ways are perfect. Justice. It's good to know that we have a just and upright God. So you, again, you guys have studied Greek mythology. Are those guys good guys? No. Good gals? No. They, you, you get on the wrong, they wake up on the wrong side of the bed and they make your life a living hell. You guys read Odysseus? I think I referenced that in the meeting last time. It's awful. The things they do that poor guy. Right? Thank goodness that's not our God. Okay? Alright, so, and, and this is really important because back in the day of the Israelites, the gods of Egypt and of Canaan and of the area where they lived, they were a lot like the Greek gods, but even worse, actually. They were, they were known for just ripping each other apart. The only reason, so like, creation is described as two gods coming together and one god ripping the other god in half and the body of the god becoming earth. That's where it came from. And that's, in almost all ancient Near Eastern ideas of god, humans are created as slaves to serve their god. And it doesn't matter what is right or wrong. It just matters what the God wants you to do. So think of yourself living in that day and age and reading Deuteronomy. Your God is perfect. His ways are just. He's faithful. He's without iniquity. He doesn't sin. He's just and upright. This is who your God is. It's who our God is. That's pretty awesome when you read it in that context. The two Ephesians, even as he chose us in him. Did we already do this one? Yeah. No, it just sounds the same. Yeah. It sounds the same, yeah. Yeah. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for his options. So these are all activities that God does. He chooses, okay? He predestines. He adopts us as sons uh, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. We're going to go fast now. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we're seeing this over all, he's his own boss idea still coming up. We get to John 1.12, and we see 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So this is the last thing I want to point out because it shows up in our doctrinal statement is this. He's one God and he's the father of all. So God is the father of everybody in all of the earth in the sense that he is our creator. He's created everyone. But this is really important because it helps us in, in how we talk about God and how we pray. God is not the father of a Buddhist or a Muslim or an atheist in the same way that he is the father of someone who believes in Christ. Because we read in John 1, 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So here's how I think we should define these differences. On the one hand, he's everyone's father because he is the creator. Everyone has come from his creating activity, but not everyone is in his family. Not everyone has the privileges of being a son or a daughter of God. Not everyone is going to inherit his blessings. Only those who have believed in the name of Jesus are children of God in that sense. Okay? So, have we covered in this short amount of time everything that there is to cover about God? No, there is not. No, we have not, right? So, one of the problems with doctrinal statements is they can only say so much. And one of the reasons we say what we say is usually because of the, the climate and what was going on in the world when doctrinal statements were written. Um, but you have the doctrinal statement in front of you there. Let's read it really quickly. I don't have it in front of me. I need one of these. What I've given you there is I've given you the doctrinal statement for what we covered today. And then also on the next page is the doctrinal statement, or starting at the bottom or middle of the page there, of what we're going to cover next week, God the Son. So if you were to want to read what it says about God the Son, you could do that before next week. But let's read what it says about God the Father. Starting with God the Father, we teach that God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, orders and disposes all things according to his own purpose and grace. He created all things in six 24-hour days. As the absolute and omnipotent ruler of the universe, he is sovereign in creation, providence, and redemption. He has decreed for his own glory all things that come to pass. He continually upholds, directs, and governs all creatures and events. In his sovereignty or his rulership, he is neither author nor approver of sin nor does he abridge the accountability of moral and intelligent creatures. Another way you could say that is he judges justly. He has graciously chosen from eternity past those whom he would have as his own. He saves from sin all who, become, all who come to him through Jesus Christ. He adopts as his own all who come to him and he becomes, upon adoption, father of his, to his own. His fatherhood involves his, both his designation within the Trinity, so he's the father of Jesus, and his relationship with humankind. As creator, he is father to all, but he is spiritual father only to believers. So the question you should be asking yourself at the end of every one of these is, did we do a good job? 
did we describe what the Bible says well? All right? And my answer is going to be, yes, I think we did. Okay? So that's what it says there. Um, we are out of time, so I want to end with this thought here. If you guys have questions, please come, ask me. Be happy to answer them. But let's do this as our last thing. Let's walk away from here with this verse ringing in our ears. Jeremiah 9.23 Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You are incredibly blessed if you are counted among the children of God because you have a God who has not hidden himself from you. He's revealed himself to you. He's shown you who he is, and it is good. He is perfect. He is just. So let's give all that we are to serving this God. He is a good God and all things will work for good to those who love him, is what scripture tells us. Lord, help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.